Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the Varus Nuncius, your go-to podcast for real discussions on the social sciences. Staying on this month's theme of Filipino American History Month, we will be discussing Filipino American history, immigration, and Filipino American cultural identity as it pertains to us students of an international school, formerly an American school, here in the Philippines. I'm Alexa, I'm a junior at ISM, and I am joined here with... David, I'm a junior. And Erich, I'm a sophomore. So, without further ado, let's get started. Filipino American History Month, what is it? Why is it? David, will you get us started? So, October is officially recognized as Filipino American History Month. It commemorates the first recorded presence of Filipinos in the United States, which occurred on October 18th. 1587, when a group of Luzones Indios landed in California after traveling from Spain. Today, Filipino Americans are the second largest Asian American group in the United States. In particular, many reside in California, making up the third largest ethnic group in the state. The founders of Filipino American National History Society, or FANS, first introduced Filipino American History Month in 1992 through a resolution. In 2009, it was officially passed into nationwide law by the U.S. Congress, Senate, and House of Representatives. Throughout October, FANHS chapters, universities, museums, and community groups celebrate Filipino American History Month with various events and activities that aim to raise awareness about the significant role Filipinos have played in American history. I think the celebration of um, Filipino American History Month is certainly very enlightening, especially from a Filipino perspective because what we study is generally how Americans have played a role in Filipino history, how they've affected our education system, how they've affected our language. Even today, English is still one of the national languages along with Filipino. And so it's nice to be able to see how Filipinos have been able to play a role in American history instead. Yeah, for sure. Uh, What we're going to discuss today is definitely a forgotten part of Filipino history that does not very often appear in American history or Filipino history textbooks. However, I feel that this narrative is vital to our understanding of Filipino-American culture and our identities, be it as international students and just in order to address the international community and our identities and a knowledge of history. So uh, with that, I think we should move on to some discussions on Filipino to U.S. immigration history. Erich, will you get us started on the early period? So in the early period, the first recorded Filipino-American settlement in North America was St. Malo, Louisiana, founded in 1763. Most of the settlers traveled to escape the forced labor and enslavement from the Acapulco-Manila galleon trade. Other Filipino-American settlements would eventually appear throughout the Louisiana bayous with the Manila village in Barataria Bay growing to become the largest settlement. In the period between 1793 to 1906, many Filipino groups such as mariners, adventurers, and domestics would choose to settle in these areas, allowing for the growth of the Filipino community in the U.S., some of whom would even migrate to the West Coast, Hawaii, and Alaska to pursue careers in the fishing and whaling industries. Now on to 1900 to 1965. In 1898, the Spanish-American War took place where the Americans remained victorious over the Spaniards. The resolution of the war, the Treaty of Paris, allowed America to take possession of the Philippines, which had previously been under Spanish colonial rule, for a price of $20 million. 
In order to maintain rationalization with its change in power, President McKinley issued the Benevolent Assimilation Proclamation, which claimed that the Americans wished to protect the rights and liberties of the Filipino population. This proclamation, however, proved to be unfruitful, for the Filipinos had already begun fighting for independence during Spanish colonization. This was a fight that they carried out into the new colonial power, resisting U.S. colonization and creating the foundation of a conflict that would eventually lead to the Filipino-American War, a violent clash that would kill nearly over one million Filipinos. General Jacob H. Smith commanded his troops to kill, quote, every Filipino boy over 10 years old, end quote, an order that many Americans opposed, including Mark Twain and the African-American Buffalo soldiers who had been dispatched in the Philippines for battle. To justify the unwanted violence, America had Filipinos transported to the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair treated as displays to depict non-Christianized Filipino populations, which made it seem like a missionary goal to Christianize the entirety of the Philippines, although Christianity was already one of the largest religions considering the Spanish influence. The war was essentially a major catalyst for Filipino migrants in the United States. Because of the colonial status of the Philippines, most Filipinos became a major source of cheap labor. By 1906, Filipinos were already migrating to Hawaii to work in sugar plantations. By the 1920s, Filipino laborers had started moving westward towards the west coast, including Alaska, Washington, and California, becoming a driving force in the growth of the American agricultural industry, many of whom were met with racial hostility, discrimination, for many white Americans brought up accusations that male Filipino labor migrants were stealing their jobs and women. The racial hostility led to inflictions of violence towards Filipinos in the form of mobs, beatings, and even murder. Yet, the Filipino population resisted the oppression and continued to grow as a community, forming safe havens throughout the West Coast, with a prominent example being Stockton's Little Manila. The working conditions were less than ideal for Filipino labor migrants. As such, they would go on strikes with demands of fair wages and working conditions. In 1934, Congress inducted the Tidings McDuffell Act into law, which limited the number of Filipino migrants to the 50 individuals per year. Despite constrictions placed on Filipino immigrants, Congress still continued to promise independence for the Philippines. World War II would serve as a fundamental event for Filipino Americans in the Philippines, for it was the start of the movement towards independence. Japan bombed American bases in the Pacific, targeting Pearl Harbor in the Philippines and declaring war in the U.S., which prompted the U.S. to take part in the war. Being under American colonial rule, the Philippines allied with America. Once President Roosevelt established the United States Armed Forces in the Far East, nearly 250,000 Filipinos enlisted. With the additional manpower provided, the Americans remained victorious in the Pacific Theater, a series of battles primarily fought against Japan in the waters and lands of the Pacific Ocean. Then if the war brought about the end of the fight for independence for Filipinos, as America granted the Philippines independence and freedom. Furthermore, Filipinos who were part of the armed forces in the U.S. or were veterans locally gained the right to a U.S. citizenship. Additionally, the Filipino veterans in the Philippines were also promised military benefits for their efforts in the war. However, many of the promises made to Filipino veterans were not upheld due to the passing of the 1946 Recession Act, signed by President Harry S. Truman. 
which declared that Filipino veterans would be stripped off of all the benefits promised to them for their contribution in the fight during World War II. This would lead to a new wave of migration. Even despite granting the Philippines independence in 1946, American bases still remained in the Philippines in search of Filipino recruits. With these bases, many Filipinos ended up joining the U.S. military. It even reached a point during which the number of Filipinos in the U.S. Navy exceeded the number of Filipinos in the Philippine Navy. With the War Brides Act of 1946, Filipino women married to U.S. military men were able to migrate to the U.S. as the act stated that it aimed, quote, to expedite the admission to the United States of alien spouses and alien minor children of citizen members of the United States Armed Forces, end quote. These Filipinos raised their families, bought land, and built up communities, creating a Philippine women's club in numerous cities, including San Diego, Detroit, and Los Angeles. By accomplishing these responsibilities, these women helped structure the next generation of Filipino Americans. 1965 brought about a new legislation, the Immigration Act, which increased immigration quotas. With the introduction of this new legislation, the number of Filipino migrants ballooned in the 70s, even doubling within a decade. From a population of 45,000 in the 1930s, the Filipino community in the U.S. grew to a population of 343,000, about a 660% increase. It further doubled in the 1980s, during which the population accumulated to a total of 774,000, and most of these immigrants were women and professionals seeking opportunities. The 60s brought about a united front between Filipinos, Black Power, and Chicanos as they fought for equality together. In California, Filipinos Larry Itliong, Philip Veracruz, along with other organizations such as the Agriculture Workers Organizing Community, AWOC, worked together to lead a strike against the great businesses. Filipinos were the one to convince Cesar Chavez and his association, the National Farm Workers Association, to partake in the strike. Furthermore, Filipinos were the one who started in the 1965 Delano Grape Strike and with the help of Latinas, together they managed to carry out what many consider to be one of the most successful strikes against agribusiness in history. Beyond agriculture, there were also revolts in regards to education. Students of San Francisco State University and UC Berkeley, including young Filipino Americans, led a strike that pushed for the establishment of an ethnic studies course. There are over 4 million Filipinos in the United States today. FANHS is dedicated to telling the tales of the distinct Philippine-American experiences, including the victories and hardships faced along the way. The organization was established in 1982 by Dorothy Ligo Cordova and Fred Cordova and finds great importance in the documentation of Filipino-American history. In order to honor the deep culture and history of Filipino-Americans, it celebrates October as the Filipino-American History Month. So regarding Filipino-American history, I think I mentioned this, but once again, I think it's important to illustrate these specific acts and revolts that Filipinos in the United States have had to battle and how they've contributed to American U.S. society and culture. I feel that just in general, American exceptionalism has shadowed many of the incredibly diverse and rich cultural histories of Filipinos and the role they've played in how the United States functions today. If no one would like to add on, I think Erich can talk to us a little bit about the identity and cultures of Filipino Americans versus Filipinos. Many Filipino Americans tend to identify strongly with their Spanish heritage. 
Anthony Ocampo, author of The Latinos of Asia, How Filipino Americans Break the Rules of Race, explores the topic of how Filipinos and Latinos harbor similar cultures. Some of the most notable comparisons between these two cultures is how comparatively similar they are when it comes to the stylistic design integrated into architectural infrastructure, the constancy of religion, and the commonality of Catholicism, just to name a few. The perspective that both nationalities and cultures harbor towards the significance of family is another similarity that is widely recognized. Further into perspectives, when it comes to religion, many members of each culture encounter and go through the same rite of passages given the similarity in the predominant religion for both, Filip for both Filipinos and Latinos. Even something as simple as similar last names is another factor that adds onto the familiarity of Spanish culture, along with similarity in tone and pronunciation of words in each respective language. Finding a little Manila in the US was quite a rarity. After Spanish colonization, the Philippines was under American colonial rule, which allowed for the formation and advancement of the public education system. Furthermore, as a U.S. colony, the Philippines adopted English as the national language, which is just one aspect of American culture that was adopted or mirrored by Filipino culture. As such, Filipinos have already been exposed to some of the American norms, given that they're slightly reflected in Filipino culture. That exposure allows for an easier transition into adopting cultures and standards, thus no longer having to face the typical obstacles of an unfamiliar language and foreign social networks, which often tend to become a large push factor in forming an ethnic enclave. Getting an in-depth perspective of what it's like to be a Filipino-American, Filipino-Americans often find difficulty in identifying with either one of their cultural origins. As Gabby Hossess says it, they're stuck in a position of, quote, not being Filipino or American enough, unquote, to fit into either cultures. They face an identity crisis as they're stuck in a gray area where they're unable to make deep connection with either side. For instance, they may know the basic foundation of Filipino culture with regards to their home life and education, but they aren't familiar with the culture beyond that surface level knowledge. Yes, absolutely. And with that, I think we can also go into some discussions regarding our personal cultural identities, just talking about uh, what it means to be Filipino for each of us, because as students in an international school, formerly an American school here in the Philippines, uh, some of us might have conflicting cultural identities, whether you're racially from the Philippines or from abroad or if you were born and raised here or if you've lived here for several years and you haven't really been to your home country a lot, I feel that there's definitely a lot to say about there are a lot of parallels between being a Filipino-American and a third culture kid here in ISM. For example, I can start. Uh, basically, I was born in New York, but I've lived in the Philippines since I was a month old, and I'm half Filipino, half Greek, and I've attended ISM for the majority of my education. So in general, I do have a struggle identifying where exactly I'm from, although I do feel that I am more Filipino than I am from any of my other cultures, I also do feel a strong American pull and however I have a hard time identifying a certain name for myself because I'm not Filipino American because generally Filipino Americans are those who are racially from the Philippines but ethnically born and raised in the United States while in my position I'm quite the opposite I'm racially Filipino but and I live in the Philippines however I was born in the United States and also my dad 
was also born and raised in the United States. So it begs the question, am I a Filipino-American, or should I call it an American Filipino? And there's honestly not quite one name for those of us who have a blend of different cultural experiences. And I think it's definitely important to highlight about what our culture's experiences on a daily basis mean to us in regards to differences and similarities with Asian Americans in the U.S. Uh, just like to point out, first and foremost, in the research, um, while Anthony Ocampo does mention the similarities between Latinos and Filipinos, uh, he failed, at least in what's in the research now, uh, it failed to mention like a third of the country. Mindanao is a thing, and Mindanao is predominantly Muslim. So definitely does not line up with the, I guess, cultural pillar that is religion. In fact, it's actually a divisive factor um, between Mindanao and the rest of the country, hence their push towards so- uh, sovereignty and you know, independence, albeit partial. I think that further makes it more complicated on what being Filipino is, because obviously if you're from Luzon and you're Christian, you're Filipino, but if you're from Davao and Muslim, you're also Filipino. Therefore, religion shouldn't play that much of a factor into being Filipino, yet so much of what we do and so much of what we think and the values that we, uh, that we have stem from religion. Given that, the, I guess, nuance of what being Filipino uh, is diversified, um, I think there is no one definition of Filipino, as, as odd that, as that may be given the different characteristics of all Filipinos, even internally within the country. Next only, you also have OFWs, Filipinos who have been born in Qatar, born in Saudi Arabia, born in the Middle East, haven't been to the Philippines or have been there once or twice, but are still Filipino in the sense that their parents are harboring culture and have transported it to different parts of the world given the, their uh, occupation. So yeah, I'd just like to point it out. As for my personal identity, I kind of have it easy. I'm nearly full Filipino and probably like a fourth and eighth Chinese, hence the Lim uh, last name. But I, have, I, I guess my identity is pretty clear cut. Born Filipino, raised in the Philippines, can speak Tagalog or Filipino, and can understand some other dialects, so obviously Filipino. However, my experience in ISM um, gave me another layer of what it meant to be Filipino. For example, I, did, I thought Filipino was a universal thing. Everyone knew kind of the ins and outs of it. And then I got into a school wherein social classes of those families who send their kids to that school is a lot higher than mine. Um, and so what I know about my culture and what they know about their culture is very, very different. And so how they experience the culture and how I experience the culture is also different. And so there's, again, another layer of nuance. Your socioeconomic class generally would direct how you perceive what being Filipino is or what aspects of Filipino culture you interact with. Because if you think about it, a lot of Filipino culture stems from the ills of Filipino society. For example, a lot of the trends that we have, a lot of the mistakes that we make are because of some underlying societal um, fault that we have yet to fix. That may be poverty, that may be lack of education, that may be the uh, over-reliance on, that may be crab mentality. These trends that we have, while yes, we certainly have positive values like hospitality, um, the tendency to forgive, 
and like our our upbeat nature as a as a ethnicity we also have a lot of ills that stem that affect filipinos differently depending on how they've experienced being filipino i think it's an interesting point you raised about how the word filipino isn't really defined because my case is entirely different from yours i'm chinese both my parents were chinese but my mom was essentially born and raised in the philippines and my dad migrated here at a young age so essentially my entire family my entire immediate family has basically grown up in the philippines and so i feel more attached to my filipino culture more and more so as in comparison to my chinese side and i guess that also stems from how i grew up before attending ism i attended um schools that had a lot more weight on the Filipino side of things. So I grew up learning how to speak Filipino, getting a deeper look into the culture and kind of growing up with things as simple as the national um the food that we tend to eat, the music we tend to listen to, things like that and it's kind of shaped how I feel and it's given me way to see myself more as a Filipino rather than a Chinese. And so I think that really attests to the idea that there are so many different aspects more so than things like religion and where you're born that define who you are especially as a Filipino and yeah and in general i think just adding on to what david and erich said about the divisive factors within filipino society because there are so many different ethnic groups there are the tagalog cebuano ilocano moro mindanao uh, they all have different cultural identities based on their regionalization and um obviously there are discrepancies in terms of religion and uh political outlooks but i feel like in general we have a lot of centripetal factors <laughs> that unite us for example the uh, importance of family or uh hospitality celebration in our society that kind of unites filipinos together and also just to add on i feel like a lot of the time filipinos get just homogenized into one particular ethnic group but it's really in addition it's not just the US that is a melting pot that includes Filipino culture but the Philippines is a melting pot of its own it encompasses Amer- United States influence Spanish influence Chinese influence Muslim influence Christian influence uh just the influences of so many different cultures and here in ISM we have so many expats from all over the world so the Philippines itself is also a melting pot and continues to grow in terms of cultural diversification and i think that this is something definitely to bring a lot of attention to and as members of an international school i'm sure we all have our own unique stories and cultural perspectives but i feel that that's just something important to bring up with that i feel that this is a great conclusion for this history and filipino american identity segment We hope that this was incredibly informative of some of the forgotten parts of our history as well as an exciting dialogue on what it means to be Filipino or what it means to be American or part of an international community. Our next episode will cover Filipino-American politics, so stay tuned. A huge thank you from the Bears Not Just family for listening and we will see you all next time. <laughs>